Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. In the hardback that we handed out, you're going to go to page 735. Daniel chapter 10, 735 in the hardback. Anybody not get a bulletin and sermon notes who would like them? Put a hand up, we'll bring you a bulletin. Awesome, okay. While we're getting situated, let me talk about giving time. Um, Oh, I forgot to bring my phone, it's fine. Um, I got a wonderful update email this afternoon. If you were here in November, you recall that we were partnering for the very first time with a group called The Alliance, and they are a nonprofit here that works to take everybody serving families, foster-related needs, adoption-related needs, um, short-term crisis care, anything you could just about imagine, making sure all these organizations that their leaders know each other and are aware of the resources that somebody else does so that we don't end up reinventing the wheel and we can resource somebody comes to us and their need is very specific and we don't meet that need, we can let somebody else know. Well, there are a lot of churches in the Alliance and we are now one of them. Um, One of the things that churches do is we may not be able to meet social needs the way a, a social worker or an attorney might, but we have an army of volunteers and we believe that we can shine the light and love of Jesus Christ through love and good works, amen? So um, we listened to the Alliance back in November when they said, here's something we're trying to do for Christmas. We've got a bunch of resource families, which is social work speak for, there are families in our city who will take a child into their home, maybe just for 24 hours sometimes. Imagine taking a child, some of you have done this, take a child into your home where you have no idea how long they're staying, you just know that mom and dad are in crisis. That makes sense? During crisis, is there a lot of unknown? Yeah, yeah. So there are some good folks here in our city that have children in their home that they met last week and they might say goodbye to next week, but they're gonna serve them here in the moment, right? And this allows um, the world of 100 years ago to be dead. 100, 120 years ago, kids ended up in orphanages with a 50 to 1 a, a, you know, ratio with a nun or, or some kind person who's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. We don't want that to exist anymore, and it doesn't exist anymore because of families who'd step up and say, we'll take a kid in, in an emergency placement. Um, those families, six of those families, received gift baskets from us at Christmas time, and you guys made that happen. Thank you for doing that. The email I got this week uh, quoted two moms in particular Um, what they were really blown away by, if I were to say what's the emphasis of these two emails, they were not expecting baskets and they were blown away that baskets came from people that did not know them, total strangers. Okay, guys, that's the gospel. You did not know Jesus when he died for you. You were enemies of the cross. I was an enemy of the cross. We were far from each other. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. So I say that just to talk about resources in general. If you're a Christian, your mind belongs to Jesus. Your future belongs to Jesus. Your relationships belong to Jesus. And in this case, it was your wallet. He claims all of it. And thank you guys so much 
for displaying hearts of kindness and of generosity to total strangers. Um, they felt your love and they felt God's love. So um, if you're gonna be a faithful giver, and I know that you are, the silver bucket is in the back, the online ways to give, all that fun stuff. Again, Super Bowl tickets for the pastor is always an option. <laughs> but then somebody's gotta preach next week and then there's that and so. And flights to Phoenix, don't forget. All right, ready for some Bible teaching? Okay. Daniel chapter nine, allow me to catch you up to speed if this is your first time with us. Daniel is a book written to God's people in a very dark place. They uh, were in Israel, we were in Israel, we had received the law of Moses, we did a terrible job following the rules. I know that in 2023 that doesn't resonate whatsoever. Rule-breaking in the mind, in the heart, in the actions. But we broke rules. We broke them early, we broke them often. We broke all 11 of the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, Paul says once, they're forever inventing new ways to sin. That's why I say we broke all 11 of the Ten Commandments. And at some point, as God had promised when he gave the law, he said, I am not above divine timeouts. I will take the entire people and allow your enemies to gain victory over you military and carry you off to a faraway land. And that happened. And so Daniel, probably as a teenager, is carried off to this faraway land called Babylon. From what we read, probably made a eunuch. Because of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that was given to him, he rises in the ranks and, and he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are given prominent places of authority even though they do not worship the gods of their land. And their entire life and ministry is in a dark place where there's no functioning temple, there's no pop culture, oh, everybody else loves Jesus so it makes it easier for me to love Jesus. No, no, no. No, 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 no. They worship very differently here. And in the light of that, Daniel shares with us some stories of what it is like to honor God in a dark place. That's the first half of the book of Daniel that we preached last summer. And the second half, some visions that God revealed things to him about the near future and far future and some visions he had along the way that we are working through right now. Let me go to, I got the tassel here. In chapter 10, so the series is called Shining in Babylon Accordingly. In chapter 10, we're going to see something really, really interesting. And I've told you guys multiple times that prophetic literature has lots of fun little details that can tempt us to chase rabbits that might not be super important because they're not the main thrust of the text. We're about to read a story where Daniel prays and he's, he's, he's heartbroken, presumably over the state of Jerusalem. The text doesn't exactly say, but he's heartbroken. He's fasting, he's mourning, he's praying. And we're about to see that an angel shows up 21 days later and says, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't get here in time. I was fighting a demon. Huh? Right? So before you pull out that horror flick that you saw in college and, and, and add to something the text is not saying, let's read it together and learn something about prayer. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Time out, by the way. This vision 
is chapters 11 and 12, so we're not even getting to it today. Today, we're just talking about how God communicated truth to Daniel, okay, and the hardship of getting truth to him. Verse two, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time, I had eaten no Krispy Kreme donuts, no Texas Roadhouse, no booze, that Greg's standard version, but you get the idea. I used no fragrant lotion. So he's, he's, there is a mourning going on. He's not fasting, he's still eating. He is just not partaking of the nicer things of life and he's doing so on purpose. Does that make sense? We're Americans, we don't do that. But anyway, <laughs> he's purposefully foregoing pleasure for three weeks while he cries out to God. No fragrant lotions, so didn't wear perfume, deodorant, what have you. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone, excuse me, like polished bronze. And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Have we heard this before? Yeah, we just heard this in the last chapter. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Listen, you hear the so? What's the so there for? You are precious to God, so listen. This message given to you is very tied to how much you mean to God. You and I think we're supposed to listen to the sermon just to, to, to white knuckle it and find some, another degree of holiness because God's angry at us. No, no, no. The next degree of holiness is because God treasures you deeply. Oh man, some of you guys saved your amens and that was your chance and you missed it. We think God's telling us what's true because he's grumpy. He's telling us what's true because he loves us so much. Verse, okay, middle of verse 11. Stand up for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. See how we just got into, uh, you know, action thriller movies right there. Hold on a second. We're gonna let the Bible speak for itself and not, not add, add to it. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future and this vision concerning a time yet to come. While he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. So let's be clear and let's not make this cute. He saw clearly what God was telling him about the future and it was not good. 
it was hard. And again, this is something we won't get into until the next two weeks. Hard and painful things about the end of time and God's judgment of the world, terrifying things, even if they're ultimately good, right? You, you want, in a, bad, in, a, in a movie, you want to see the bad guy, you know, get justice because he's evil and he murdered 17 people since this movie started. And you like that he kind of trips when he's fighting with the good, he trips and he falls off a 17-story building. But nobody wants to go down onto the sidewalk and watch him get smushed into the sidewalk. Like, you're really sick and twisted if you want to watch that in detail, Okay. God's justice at the end of the world is going to involve lots of pain. It's, it's going to be brutal, but it's going to be exactly what the world deserves, tragically, when we fail to embrace the mercy and forgiveness that he's offered. So Daniel has seen the future, and the future is awful, and he was already overcome by the presence of this angel, and now he's overcome again, realizing what the message is. Uh, I'm able to speak. Strength is gone, I can hardly breathe. Verse 18. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. How many times have we heard this now? Monday night group, does repetition matter in a text? Yeah, repetition absolutely matters. Okay. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, Lord, for you have strengthened me. He replied, do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, spirit, after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Clear as mud? Excellent, let's pray. Lord Jesus, please teach us your word. We will miss what your spirit has for us. Holy Spirit, if you don't lead us into all truth, please help us. Help us to see with spiritual eyes Help us to repent of sin where we are called out by something in the text, Lord. Give spiritual insight. Help us not to be distracted by secondary things in the way we approach your word. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you so much, God. We are so lost without you. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and turn around and introduce yourself to the person behind you real quick because we're about to do a discussion question. Um. Here is your discussion question for your new friends. Here's your discussion question. When you don't hear from God, when you're asking him for something, you're asking him to do something, when you don't hear from him though, what are all the possible responses? You can share personally or theoretically. Be personal if you're brave. What are all the possible responses to when I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God? I'll give you 90 seconds. Go ahead and share. 
All right. Anybody want to be brave and share with the room what your group talked about? What are some possible things when we're not, we don't feel like we're hearing back from God? You could stay the course. You stay faithful and you keep praying. What is another response you might have? Feeling like God isn't there. Feeling like God's not there. What, else, what other responses might we have? Get angry, throw a fit. Anybody here good at throwing a grown-up fit? Yeah. Did I see your hand? Yeah. Open the word if you're not hearing from God, because God's already spoken, right? What else? What are other responses? We don't feel like we're here. Yeah. Anybody ever run to something secondary? I know I'm supposed to get this answer from God, but since he's not talking, let me go somewhere else. I believe Saul did that, right? It's a weird, obscure sentence in the Bible, but my Sunday school teacher in high school taught me to be terrified of it. I, I, I was, mm. if, you, if you didn't grow up with the Bible, this will sound like a very weird phrase to you. Why do I hear all this bleeding of sheep? Samuel had come up, and instead of him showing up as a spiritual leader of Israel and doing the sacrifices, Saul gets impatient doesn't, well, Samuel's not here. I'll, I'll just do it myself. I, I will take spiritual authority and I'll, I'll do it my way instead of God's way. So doing it my way, yeah. Any other responses to not hearing from God? Those were, those were some good answers. There are all kinds of responses. There are some good ones. There are some really bad ones when we don't hear from God or maybe he answered, but we didn't like the answer. And so we kind of went, la, 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 la. Those of you who are note takers, oh, yeah? Yes, he does, amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Here's your first blank in your notes. When you hear nothing from God, it does not mean he has not answered your prayer. When you hear nothing from God, it does not mean he's not answered your prayer. Go back to verse 12 with me. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself. When was that? How long has that been? Three weeks. And he doesn't just show up and say, hey, you persisted, you prayed 21 days in a row, just like the Bible told you to. No, there's no Bible verse that says that. Now that you prayed your 21 days, I'm here. That's not what the angel said. He says something way more complicated. He gives something to Daniel that's way bigger than what Daniel can handle, but it's true. Hey, I've been fighting with a demon for three weeks. At least it's the Bible. This time of year, you're worried about people checking the score. Like, hey, come on. Three weeks, God heard the prayer and the angel says God answered the prayer immediately. And is God so weak that he can't get around a demon? 
Let's do a little theological work here. Is there a demon who can stand up to God? No, because all angels are created beings. He created them. Some of them rebelled. So God is sovereignly allowing his messenger and an opposing demon to do war for three weeks. God's allowing the delay. Anybody here ever thrown a grown-up fit because God was allowing a delay? Yeah, Dennis and I, okay, three of us. Three of us have thrown grown-up fits. Every drop of interacting with the God of the Bible, I know I say this on repeat, but it's critical. Every single interaction calls you and I toward trusting him. There's no way to interact with Jesus and not be called to trust him. Why? Because look down, you're walking on water, bro. There's no faithless way to walk on water. There's a faithless way to sink. You can do that for a minute. (laughs) So here's an illustration. I think we all intuitively know, in this case, it was God sovereignly allowing angelic forces to be in conflict in this delivery of truth. But let me use an illustration of something really practical. You're 19 years old, and you're just about to marry your sweetheart, but World War II starts. So you do what everybody did, right? And so you're in England for a while, and after D-Day, you're in France. And mail takes however long it takes, right? There is a gap between when your sweetie wrote you a love letter, when she put it in the mail back in Topeka, Kansas, and it arriving, not just to France, but then they have to figure out, okay, his company is over here, you know, because you're moving. The logistics people amaze me. Weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, can pass between something being said and something being received. This is, in our 21st century, a little bit lost on us because we send a text, we send an email, it's all instant. 80 years ago, there were practical reasons why a message was not instant. And in our prayer life, we're not, oh, this hurts, this hurts. In our prayer life, God has reasons for the timing in what he says and when he says it and when his Holy Spirit breaks through my hard heart so I can finally hear it. Anybody ever heard something from God you know he's been telling you for a decade? Right? That's called sanctification. That's a 50-cent Bible word that just means in my journey of becoming more and more like Jesus, I finally obeyed him on something, and I know he told me that 10 years ago. Just get your little card of Sinners Anonymous, you know, and just join the club. I guess we're not anonymous anymore. Here we are. Sinners no longer anonymous. (laughs) Your next step, this is also in your notes, keep praying and keep trusting. Keep praying and keep trusting. Uh, This is the only appropriate God-honoring response when we are calling out to God and we're not getting the answer yet. I wanna keep pointing you guys back to Romans 8. He gave you his son. Won't he give you everything else? That is 
Paul's not talking about prayer in that moment, but that is the anchor text for every time we're tempted to doubt the love or the faithfulness or the goodness of God. Hey, didn't he send his son to die on a cross to wash away your sin, allowing you to go to heaven and not hell? Okay, then why are you doubting on this very small thing? But Greg, me getting my dream job isn't small. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just smaller than heaven and hell. Right? I'm asking God to save my marriage. That's not small. It's not small. It's huge. It's just smaller than heaven and hell. If he gave you his own son, won't he give you everything else? That is an appeal to trusting the character of God. It's look at the behavior of God and go layer it down beneath at his character, at who he is. He's not gonna betray his character. Let alone a whole other thing that's not in this sermon. There, all throughout scripture, we see things that God clearly will always say yes to. If you ask for the Holy Spirit of the living God to make you more like Jesus, he never says no to that, ever. That was for free, it's not in the notes, but he will never, ever say no to that. Sometimes that holiness will come now. Sometimes it will come later, but it will come because that's how he glorifies himself, blesses you and blesses the world around you. He is, if you love Jesus, he is changing you and shaping you and molding you through the community of faith, through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit inside you to make you look more like his son. Ephesians says you were predestined from the foundation of the world. Not simply he decided to save you, he decided to make you more like his son and he predestined you to good works. The good stuff that's gonna flow out of your life from him washing you in his blood, he planned that before eons passed. Good times. Second, when Christians ask God to reveal truth, it will always be contested by God's enemies. Yeah, you guys weren't excited about that one. That's okay, it'll get positive later. When Christians ask God to reveal truth, it will always be contested by God's enemies. Back to verses 12 and 13. Her request came to answer your prayer, 13, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael came to help me. We tag teamed and now Michael's fighting him. I'm here delivering the message. Did you just see not only the bomb that this chapter drops on us, and we see a little bit in Revelation, uh, Jude in particular, we see apparently there is a hierarchy in the heavenlies. Not only on the side of the angels that still worship God, but the angels that have rebelled against God. There's a hierarchy. And entire books have been, around, been written around this, and, and my apologies to you if you wrote one of them. There is such a thing as majoring on the minors when only two texts in the whole Bible allude to it. There apparently is a hierarchy. Apparently entire ethnos, entire people groups, what we, we, with the word nation, I've said this before, but I want to be really clear. When you read the Bible and it says the word nation, a lot of times it's the Greek word ethnos, which means people groups. So the way we view nationalism, the way it was born in the mid-19th century, it's not really what the Bible's talking about. Um, ethnos is usually defined by language, common beliefs, common festivals, common foods. So I would argue there are tons of ethnos inside the United States. Uh, but this seems to say that Satan takes demons and assigns them to different people groups. Huh, well, let's not get wrapped around that. What does matter 
is look at the behavior. Where does this demon get involved? He doesn't stop Daniel from watching football. He doesn't stop Daniel from surfing Netflix. That's preposterous, Greg. There was no Netflix back then. Daniel asks God for truth. He's mourning the situation that God's people are in. He's humbling himself and he's asking God, speak to me. And God decides to, in answer to that prayer, he wants to send a vision, which again, we're gonna see in chapters 11, 12. He wants to show Daniel the end of time. And the armies of darkness are not okay with that. Truth is actively fought every single day, always and forever. If we were to step into all of the text and look at every place in all of 66 books, we ask ourselves, what is Lucifer up to? The chief archangel that rebelled against God, what is he doing in the world? Well, he's called the father of lies. When he shows up, he lies. He loves using half-truths. He used a half-truth with Eve in the garden. He used half-truths with Jesus in Matthew 4. Revelation says he'll once again go out and be allowed to deceive the nations. His work is not to spoil your day. His work is not to hurt your pocketbook. In fact, the richer you are, the less you're gonna depend on God. Jesus said that. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Satan is not out to spoil your day. He wants you comfortable where you are with your Bible closed and dusty. That's what he wants. C.S. Lewis did a great service to all of us when he wrote the Screwtape Letters. Because he talked about, you know, hey, you don't have to discourage a Christian from going to church. You just need to make sure that as he sits in his pew, he's judging the person next to him or distracted with that lady's skirt is a little bit too short or they should be doing this or I don't like the music or the preaching is too long. Let him go to church, that's fine. Just make sure his affections are elsewhere. Daniel chapter 10 shows us an example of truth. God says yes to the prayer. He sends an angel to bring truth to Daniel. And an angel stands up and says, nope, we're not gonna allow this. We're going to fight. So, Let's get practical for a second. What if it's at least possible? Because we're all lied to every day, right? What if it's possible that you don't join a disciple group or a Bible study because demons are feeding you excuses? There's gonna be truth there. Everybody there believes the truth and is gonna teach you the Bible. What if demons are feeding you excuses? What if demons are helping you to get all defensive when a brother or sister corrects you? They can't control your emotions, but they can whisper in you. You don't deserve to be treated like that. You don't think as a pastor of this church, I, I'm susceptible to that one? You're a pastor. You don't deserve to be treated like that. You deserve some respect. 
when scripture says that word of correction from a brother, I mean, uh, what, is, what does it say in Proverbs? It's like a wound from a friend is better than a kiss from an enemy, right? You don't think demons will whisper in your ear to get you to resist correction? You're better than that. You've been in church a long time. You know your Bible better than they do. All of these half-truths. What if it's demons that keep telling you your experience is more true than God's word is? 18 years of pastoral ministry, I feel like this is the one I've run into the most. We believe deep in our bones that our experience is some kind of ultimate source of truth. We cannot, we just struggle letting the word have its way. It's like, I'll let the word of God be true if it's fighting, if I'm fighting against my atheist friend who's disagreeing that God even exists. I'll let the word of God be true, you know, with my money. I'm okay submitting to that. But as soon as the word of God runs into my experience, especially my painful experience, the emotion traumatized me and I've been marked by it. Maybe I haven't dealt with what I went through. Then it's not true anymore. I've done this with provision. I grew up in a home where we constantly heard money's tight, money's tight, money's tight, money's tight. Oh, I don't know if we can do that. Money's tight. Ah, fear, 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 fear. But I grew up in a pastor's home. So we always heard God will provide, God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. Brothers and sisters, are we raising our children with conflicting messages because of our own wounds? And I'm 38 years old and I'm still doing war about whether or not God will take care of my family. It's an active war because it's like everything else. Will I trust God or am I allowed demons to keep going Hey, remember that experience? Hey, remember that experience? Hey, remember what you went through? Hey, remember what your uncle went through? My uncle was a pastor too. I am tempted all the time to think that experience is more true than the word of God. And I dare say that you're tempted as well. What if it's demons reminding us of our past? What if it's demons that tell you religion is private so you don't need the church? Anybody heard that one? Maybe it was you, maybe it is you. I don't really need the church. I can do Christianity on my own. Because we've discipled so poorly and people don't realize church is a team sport. Let me tell you what you sound like to God. I can do basketball on my own. Oh, really? The 1996 Bulls with Jordan and Pippen and Kukoc, and you're gonna go out on the court by yourself. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I can do Christianity on my own. So here's your next step. Write it in your blank if you're writing. Take a fighting stance toward hearing from God. Oh, brothers and sisters, take a fighting stance we cannot act like the pursuit of truth is casual. It's not small potatoes. It is inherently a threat to the kingdom of darkness because truth is what sets people free. 
right? Jesus said that, he doesn't lie. You will know the truth, truth will set you free. Truth and lies is the actual spiritual war in the cosmos. That's what's going on, truth and lies. So brothers and sisters, take a fighting stance, take an aggressive stance, put your dukes up, have your gloves on, shield, sword, be ready to go. This is why I say the comfort of the industrialized world is toxic and it's lethal. Satan wants every one of us to be very, very cozy. Lazy boy, laid back, everything's fine. While there's a war, while bullets are flying. No, no, the enemy of your soul is still fighting. So you can put your dudes up or you can have them sitting off to the side because you think it's time to watch ESPN. No, no, if you want truth from God's word, it's a fight. Brothers and sisters, what if I told you you cannot open this and try to read it without a fight? What if I told you every time you've opened it your entire life there's been a fight, even if you were unaware? What if I told you every time for the rest of your life, when you open it, listen to good podcasts of of, of faithful preachers, read a good book that's teaching you about the Bible? What if I told you there's always going to be resistance? Always. Because every time an image bearer receives truth from God and responds to it joyfully with worship, adoration, and repentance, God gets his glory and Satan can't have that. It's not about you. It's bigger than you. It's not about me, it's bigger than me. Take a fighting stance toward hearing from God. Let me go history nerd on you guys one more time because we all know we love it when Greg goes history nerd. Learned something fun a few years ago about Napoleon. So a couple hundred years ago, Napoleon was doing wonderful things throughout Europe, handing out flowers, kissing babies. No? Oh, no, sorry. Hundreds of thousands of people were dying for his megalomania. But anyway, so he was starting war after war after war. Tactically, what he liked to do was fight from a center position where there are two opposing armies on either side of him. And if, if you, you really do need to get a life, like, like me, I need to get a life. You need to get a life if you understand this already. But it was very, uh, it, you, it was over. It was game over. In, in warfare in that time, it's still kind of game over in, in our time, even with aircraft. When there are two armies and you're in the middle, you're done. It's over. You've lost. You're toast. But here's why Napoleon put himself in that position over and over and over again. He knew how slow communication was. They had to send a scout all the way around his army to whatever to communicate, what, what, when, when should we attack? How should we attack? And the scout's got to go all the way back around. Because when you are in this prestigious position, whether it's the Austrian army, British army, the people leading these armies are wealthy and powerful. They have a lot to lose. And you've got Napoleon in a pinch. And you, all of the honor and all of the glory of defeating the great Napoleon Bonaparte is here. You cannot screw this up. You've got him surrounded. You cannot mess this up. Napoleon knows that. And he knows how long you're gonna take sending that scout all the way around. So he would put himself in this vulnerable position on purpose. And while they're communicating, he gets his soldiers ready and at the first light of day, attacks one army with a better trained group of soldiers. And he would rout the first army. So what happens is the second army, 
not only hears that the fight has already started, we, we, stopped, we still thought we were three days away from fighting, but the other army that was putting Napoleon in this tight spot is routed and a bunch of people are dead, they're gone. And now what's gonna happen? He's gonna turn around and come at us. The second army usually retreated without conflict. They were so terrified of him. Brothers and sisters, what if I told you that you're always surrounded when you want to open up God's word? What if I told you you're surrounded right now as you're trying to listen to me proclaim God's word? What if I told you you're surrounded on Monday night or Saturday night or uh, Wednesday night or Saturday morning when you're gathering with the saints to open up God's word, study it and understand it? What if I told you you're surrounded? Not surrounded like you're gonna lose, just surrounded. What if I told you the Holy Spirit is the Napoleon in your life and you're surrounded by dark things and he's gonna win? God knows nothing of defeat except by watching Satan and watching us. Brothers and sisters, you are surrounded. We've got to approach the pursuit of truth as if we are in a war because we are. We are. And great things happen in your life when truth gets in, amen? Great things happen in the life of your wife when truth gets in. Ladies, amen? Great things happen in the life of your children and grandchildren when truth gets in. Great things happen for your city and your community when truth gets in. And God gets his glory when truth gets in. That, that's the magnitude of what's going on here. I'm gonna pray for us and then we've got a couple announcements. Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness in all of the ways I've been very lax with my personal reading time. I ask for forgiveness in not carefully prioritizing prayer and Bible reading the way I ought to. And in the same way that we sink and we cry out, Jesus, Lord, save me, you, your hand reaches down and you pull us up. And I ask for that right now for us as individuals, for us as a church. God, we confess that everything in the industrialized world wants us to be chasing temporary happiness, which promises <laughs> that it'll satisfy and it betrays over and over again and we make ourselves so comfortable. So right now, God, I ask for a, a dangerous gift. I ask that you give foundation a Holy Spirit discomfort. Make us agitated like the darkness seems to be winning and we just can't take it anymore. Make us Holy Spirit agitated with our own sin. Make us Holy Spirit agitated in the ways that we'd like to grow spiritually. Make us Holy Spirit agitated in the way that we would like to love and serve the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. Put a fire under us, Jesus. For the glory of your name, for the good of this city and the world, and for our joy, light a fire under us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Two quick announcements, highly related to each other. So Foundation Youth, 
6th through 12th, 12th grade, tonight at 5.30, we're gonna be in the office instead of the Connection Center. So we're gonna play lots of games with, uh, with basketballs flying around. We're gonna break all the computer. No? Bad idea? Okay, we'll figure it out. Youth group will be in here tonight. Here's the related announcement, and many of you guys already know this. Uh, Winter Sanctuary tonight moves from another church to here. So the Connection Center for the next week is going to be uh, operated by Homeless Assistance Resource Team of Citrus Heights to allow about 20 guests a place to sleep and a place to get connected with a social worker, get connected with somebody from, um, is it Mercy? There's gonna be a medical rep there um, and there are gonna be pastors there as much as we can be in there connecting with people, we're gonna do so. Um, So let me give you the quick primer on homeless ministry in case you don't know. Tony Morgan, our former Citrus Heights homeless navigator, she told me that her general feel of folks on the street was about 70% of folks were not ready to take a hard step toward health. And so for those that were not ready to do something hard, she said, you know who I am, you know my face, you have my phone number in your phone, and you know I am here for you when you're ready to take a step. So that was her ministry to 70%. She said the 30% though, a lot of the 30% will come to programs like this because programs like this do have some rules that have to be followed. So here's what I'm saying to you guys in any way that you can help out with Winter Sanctuary this week. Somebody who is not ready to take a healthy step, they are still made in the image of God and we love them and they do frustrating things on our property that engenders bitterness and frustration and we have to learn to continually forgive, right? I don't know anything of what it's like to be addicted to cocaine. I just know that there's trash on property and that somebody pooped over here by the office door. That's all I know, that's all I see. So there's gonna be a continual temptation toward frustration. And we need to turn that frustration over the fact that there are people that are enslaved by their past demons and the drugs that they have used to fight those demons and to avoid them, okay? So compassion, this is a huge call to compassion. We are not just compassionate on those who are ready to make a change, right? Because that's not the gospel. I was not ready to change when Jesus hung on a cross for me. The 30% who are hungry, I say that metaphorically, not physically hungry, and they are ready to take a step and they might get into Joshua house, right? Those folks are generally who we're gonna be serving. And so if you come for any of the dinners the next seven nights, you're gonna have a chance to be a blessing in somebody's life who needs some encouragement and who needs some love and who needs hope, okay? So the, the phone number to Mike Nishimura was handed out over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you don't have it, come ask me and I'll give you his phone. Oh, it's in the bulletin as well, excellent. He's our administrator running this week. I just wanna encourage you guys, serve as much as you are able. I've got some evening things where I can't be there, but I'm gonna be there every time that I can. I'll encourage you to do the same. This is an incredible opportunity uh, for your uh, older kids as well to teach them that we love people who cannot practically love us back. Amen? Amen. We don't just invite somebody to dinner who can invite us to dinner back, right? 